0: Greetings Bethel Christian Fellowship. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, I'm Eric Rasmussen. I am pastor, Dr. Uncle Steve's nephew, and um, we are also sent missionaries from, well, supported missionaries from Bethel Christian Fellowship. Um, So Bethany, my wife, and our baby Leslie, we've all been here in Minnesota during this time. It's been an interesting time, Um, but we just wanted to greet you guys and uh, say hi, and um, we have the opportunity to speak to you this morning. And uh, today we're going to be going to the book of Habakkuk. Now in case you can't find Habakkuk, it's right after Nahum and right before Zephaniah. Um, It's a pretty small book, um, but I felt like the message from Habakkuk was really pretty appropriate for our time. Um, If any of you guys have ever been on a road trip, and if any of you guys have kids, there is a question that comes up over and over and over and over again when you are on a road trip with kids, and that question is, are we there yet, or how much longer, and um, honestly, it kind of feels like that some days right now, whether it's with COVID, or with all of the racial injustice in our country, or with all of these different issues that just kind of seem to be bubbling up to the surface, there's this feeling of, how long, God, how much longer are we going to go through this? And, and is it ever going to end? You know, are we there yet? And uh, I love the book of Habakkuk because that is kind of the theme of the book of Habakkuk. He, he starts off, and we'll just jump into Habakkuk chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 1. It says this, The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now Habakkuk is writing towards the end of the southern kingdom of Judah, shortly before they go into captivity in Babylon. And we know from uh, 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles that this is really a bad time in the history of Israel. They have perverted God's justice. They have turned away from God's law. They've turned away from God's word. Um, and they are as wicked as the nations around them. In fact, it even says that they were more wicked than the nations around them. They were into everything, child sacrifice, um, corruption of every kind, idolatry, immorality, just everything in this nation of Israel, which was supposed to be the people of God and is acting more like God's enemies. And so Habakkuk is crying out and he's saying, God, how long? you know, this isn't the first time that Habakkuk has obviously prayed this prayer. He's been praying it for a long time. He's praying, how long, God? How long do we have to continue going through this? How long do we have to continue um, that violence spreads on every single side of us? And so that is the cry of many of our hearts right now, right? How long, God? How long is this going to continue? And, and there's there's four things that I want us to see here in the book of Habakkuk. There's there's crying, there's watching, there's remembering, and finally there's rejoicing. And and the beautiful thing about the book of Habakkuk is he doesn't just give you a prophecy like this is what the Lord says, this is what God's going to do. He walks through it emotionally with us. He walks through the the crying out, the saying, "God, what is going on?" He walks through the watching. And he also walks through the remembering and the rejoicing. And as you go through the book of Habakkuk, it's a pretty short read. It'll probably take you five to ten minutes to read the whole thing. Um, so I'd encourage you sometime, just sit down with Habakkuk during your devotional time and, and read through it. Because we're not going to be able to go through the whole thing right now. Um, but so part of his crying, actually, is, is pretty shocking. Because in verse 12 of Habakkuk chapter 1, he says this, Are you not from everlasting O Lord, my God, my Holy One, we shall not die. O Lord, you ordain them as judgment. Now that, that term, are you not from everlasting? A lot of the commentaries I read, they, they said, this is kind of a surprising thing for a prophet to say. Because it's almost like, you know, a, a, a kid saying to his parents, you don't know much about parenting, do you? It's kind of like, aren't you from everlasting? Can't you see the end from the beginning? And this is your plan? This is your plan, God? And, and Habakkuk, he's having this almost like a, a crisis of faith where he's, he's calling out and saying, God, I don't understand this. Like your plan is, well, let's go look at God's plan real quick. Ver, uh, we'll back it up, go back to chapter 1, verse 5. It says, look among the nations and see. "'Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day "'that you would not believe if told. "'For behold, I am raising up the Babylonians, "'that bitter and hasty nation "'who march through the breadth of the earth "'to seize dwellings not their own. "'They are dreaded and fearsome, "'and their justice and dignity go before them. "'Their horses are swifter than leopards, "'more fierce than the evening wolves. "'Their horsemen press proudly on, their horsemen come from afar. They're coming, the Babylonians are coming to judge Israel. And that's after that is when Habakkuk says, aren't you from everlasting? How can you do this? You know, you're going to use a, a people more wicked than us to punish us for our wickedness. And And Habakkuk, he started out crying and saying, God, look, there's evil in Israel. And then God answers and says, yes, I've seen the evil in Israel and I'm going to punish the evil in Israel. And then he tells Habakkuk, and my plan for punishing the evil in Israel is to use a people more wicked than you to punish you. That's a kind of a, a shocking statement. It's a little bit like hard to wrap your mind around. And Habakkuk, he has trouble with it. And he even cries out and says, God, I have a problem with this. Now, I don't want us to, to allegorically read Habakkuk and I'm going to say okay now Babylon is this group of people Judah is this group of people and we need to see our world in light of that today there's too much of that kind of reading of scripture but I want us to, to see how Habakkuk responds to the trouble in his day and how we can respond similarly and the first thing like I said the first thing he does is he cries out he says God I don't understand God how long God how long is this going to go on for God, aren't you from everlasting? Can't you see the injustice that's taking place in this world? Can't you see that that there's suffering? Can't you see that there's trouble? And God says, yes, I do see. I do see. And and he tells him, look among the nations, see and wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your day that you would not believe if I told you. That's the second part. Uh, Let's jump over to Habakkuk chapter two verse one. It says, "This I will take my stand at my watchpost, and station myself on the tower, and look out to see what he will say to me, and what answer what and what I will answer concerning my complaint." So the second thing that Habakkuk does is he cries out. He cries out to God, but then he says, "I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch. I'm going to wait. I'm going to see what God is going to do." And the Lord answered me chapter 2 verse 2 and the lord answered me and said write the vision make it plain on tablets so he who so he may run who reads it for still the vision awaits its appointed time it hastens to the end it will not lie if it seems slow wait for it it will surely come it will not delay so god is saying look It's going to, this might go longer than you expect. This might, my justice might take longer than you expect. but, But know this for certain. It will come to pass. It will not delay. My justice is going to happen regardless of what you see going on in the world around you. I have a plan. And that plan is moving forward. Even if it takes longer than you expect, it's moving forward. How many of you guys know that God has a plan in the world today? God has revealed to us in Scripture, you know, from Genesis to Revelation, that, the, that creation is working towards its ordained end. And while we're in the middle of it, it might feel like it's a long time. It might feel like it's way too long. Verse 3 again, it says, For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Sometimes we think we know how God should act. And we're so focused on how we think he should act that we miss what he's actually doing. And part of watching is kind of trying to put aside our preconceptions of how God can work or how God is going to work. You know, in in Luke chapter 19, there's a story of Zacchaeus. And Jesus, you know, calls a tax collector a traitor to the people of Israel. And it says in Luke chapter 19 that when he went into Zacchaeus's house, the crowd said, how can he go into the house of a sinner? How can he go into the house of a sinner? They were so caught up in their preconceptions of how God should act, how the Messiah should behave, that when the Messiah did something unexpected, they totally missed it. They missed God's work in the life of, of um, Zacchaeus. They missed what God was doing. And Jesus says afterwards, he says, Salvation has come today to the house. Salvation has come to this house. But the crowd totally missed it because they were so focused on how they thought God should be acting. During this corona time, during this this time after the death of George Floyd, are we so focused on how we think God should act, how we think God should behave, that we miss how he's actually moving, that we miss what he's actually doing in our time? Are we watching and waiting patiently for God to act, sometimes outside of our expectations? So what do we do during this watching time? What do we do during this waiting time? Do we just sit idly by and do absolutely nothing? How can we stay encouraged in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of trials? Well, one of the things that we can do is remember. One of the most important things that we can do as Christians is remember. You know, remember is a word that's so often used throughout Scripture. Why is it used so often? Because we forget. If it wasn't, if we remembered, God wouldn't have to always be reminding us, remember, 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 remember. And one of the things that Habakkuk does is, after God declares, okay, the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to judge Israel, but guess what? After that, I'm going to turn it back on them and I'm going to also judge Babylon for their evil. I'm not going to let their evil go unpunished. Even though they're going to be the instrument of my judgment on Israel, I'm not going to allow their evil to also go unpunished. I'm going to bring the just punishment that they deserve as well. And he gives, in chapter 2, he gives five woes or five warnings to Babylon. And those warnings would go unheeded and God eventually would bring his judgment. But but Habakkuk is now left with this idea of wow God does have a plan God is moving but what do I do during the time during the in-between time well he remembers chapter 3 is is basically a lament psalm and it's also a remembering psalm where where Habakkuk goes back and remembers what God has done in the past the faithfulness of God in the past and he applies it to his present if you if you jump with me to chapter 3. Chapter 3 verses, um, we'll start in verse 12. It says this, You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed ones. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from neck. You pierced with his own You pierced with his own arrows the the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the seas with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble. To come upon people who invade us so Habakkuk looks backwards in order to be reassured about the future Habakkuk looks back at the faithfulness of God to, to Israel in the past in fact the the most um, most of this, the the commentaries I read said that this is actually a reference back to God delivering his people out of Egypt because it talks about the waters you know he, he the surging of mighty waters and some translations say the water stood up and it's referring to God delivering his people through the red sea. So, so Habakkuk is remembering God has been faithful in the past. He's been faithful in the past. He's been faithful to his covenant in the past. Therefore I can have confidence that he will be faithful to his covenant in the future. I love, um, one of my favorite all time quotes, um, comes from Oswald Chambers. Um, He and his wife had just heard some horrible, horrible news. And they were struggling to wrap their mind around it. And Oswald Chambers' wife says to him, What do you think God will do? What do you think God will do? Like, how do you think God's going to fix this situation? And Oswald Chambers, in just a brilliant statement, he says, I don't know what God will do, but I know who God is. And that's enough. I don't know what God will do, but I know who God is. And that's enough. Church, you know, I can say quite honestly, during this COVID time, during this, this time of, of just injustices and racial, and racial inequality being exposed in our country, I don't know what God will do. I don't know what God will do, but I know who God is, and that is enough. I don't know what God will do with regards to COVID. I don't know, but I know who God is. I know that God is faithful. That God is just. That God is a good God. And we can trust in his character even when we don't understand the circumstances around us. And that moves us into our final, our, our final point, which is rejoicing. So we cry out. We watch and wait. And then we remember. And then we can end with rejoicing. Rejoicing. Even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of difficulty, we can still rejoice in God because of who he is. If you look with me at Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, this is the very end of the book. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive tree fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. So, basically just saying this is supposed to be a song. A cheery song. If we sang this in church today, we'd probably lose a lot of people. But, but... (laughs) What Habakkuk is describing here is the total collapse of Israel's economy. He's describing the total collapse, the total collapse of their way of life, their society. Everything is lost. And he says, even if all of that happens, I will still rejoice in God. I will still rejoice in the God of my salvation. He says, no, no fruit on the fig trees. No fruit on the vines. No produce of the olive trees. No, uh, all the flocks are gone. There's no herds in the stalls. He basically says everything that we depend on as a society, if all of that is swept away, I will, I can still rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's a stunning claim. That's a stunning thing, you know. When I examine my own faith, my own walk with God, I have to admit that many times what I base my joy in the Lord on is circumstances. You know, I I'm quick to praise God when things are going right, and yet I'm also quick to like Habakkuk at the beginning of the book say, "How long, God?" when things are going difficult, when things are going poorly, when I'm having a difficult day. It's easy to praise God in the good times, but Habakkuk is saying it's important, it's so important that even in the difficult times, even in the worst of times, not to give up rejoicing in the Lord. Because we have to remember that God is bigger than just our circumstances, and God is doing bigger things, better things than we can imagine. We can't see it. I love um, Timothy Keller. He gives this example. He He and his wife were moving to New York City, and they had a child who was about four years old. And he had to explain to this child why it was a good idea for them to move to New York City. And to a, he said, to a four-year-old, it made no sense. Because a four-year-old is thinking, I'm leaving my friends, I'm leaving the people that I know, I'm leaving the places that I know. And yet, Tim Keller, Timothy Keller says that later on, his child was able to say, yes, actually, that was better. But to the four-year-old, it made no sense. You know, oftentimes we question God and we say, God, how can you be doing this? And we want God to answer our prayers our way. We want God to do things our way. We, we think, just like Habakkuk in the beginning, we think we know better than God. We say, aren't you from eternity? Don't you know what's going on here? And the way that we overcome that is by rejoicing in him. By continually remembering, looking back, seeing his faithfulness, and rejoicing in him, even in the difficult times. And one of the most important reasons to continue rejoicing in him during difficult times is because we become what we worship. We become like what we worship. And if we're if we're worshiping a god of good circumstances, a god who who blesses us all the time, then really our allegiance becomes to those things, the blessings themselves rather to God himself. And you know, it's a it's a principle that you see over and over again throughout scripture. You become like what you worship. You become like what you worship. You you like attracts like spiritually. And so, one of the things that we have to be careful of. Let's jump over to Psalm 135 real quick. Psalm 135. I'm going to read verses 15 through 18, it says this, The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So the the author of this psalm is basically saying, look, if you worship dead things, you become dead. If you worship... Um, if you worship things that have no life in them, you become lifeless yourself. Church, if we're worshiping the creation of our hands, we become the creation of our hands. If we're worshiping uh, lifeless idols, we become like those lifeless idols. And and especially when you're fighting injustice, one of the things you have to be so careful of one of the one of the only good comments that frederick nietzsche ever made was be careful when fighting demons that you don't become a demon yourself be careful when fighting demons that you don't become a demon yourself and there's so much truth in that you know during this time church when we're trying to fight against injustice when we're trying to to bring god's kingdom here on earth when we're trying to uh, see god's kingdom grow among us One of the things we have to be careful of is not becoming so consumed with what's going on around us that we forget who our God is. We forget his perfection, his beauty. And that God is not, you know, we we don't fight the way that the enemy fights. We fight with weapons, heavenly weapons, glorious weapons. We fight with prayer. We fight with love. As Martin Luther King said, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. And if we want to fight darkness with light, we have to get closer and closer to the light. As Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Paul says that we've had that veil torn away from our faces so that we can see clearly who God is. And because we can see who he is, we're being transformed into his likeness from one stage to the next, from one degree to the next. So church, I want to encourage you, during, during times like this when there's a social movement going on, it can be tempting to get so involved in just the social aspect of it, the social change, that we neglect to spend time with God. And if we do that, what we end up doing is making God into our own image, which will make us less effective. It will make us less light. It will make us, it will make us shine less brightly. But if we spend time with God, rejoicing in him, crying out, watching, remembering, and rejoicing in him, if we do those four things then man, we can see transformation, we can see change really happen. And not just surface change, but real, lasting change. I don't know what God will do, but I know who God is, and that is enough. I don't know what God will do, but I know who he is, and that is enough. Church, I want to invite you to to not grow so focused on just our circumstances that we lose sight of the goodness of God. I invite you to, to walk the Habakkuk walk, which basically goes from brokenness to wholeness, from hopelessness to hope. Hoping not in our circumstances, not because life is always good, but because God is always good. Because God is powerful. God is on the throne. He has a plan. If you don't see it fulfilled, wait for it. Watch for it. God is doing something today. Watch for what God is doing, and don't put him in a box. Allow God to move in a powerful, powerful way. Look for those opportunities. Look for those opportunities. You know, uh, we were with, one last story, I'll close with this. We were with a couple um, from Cross Culture, and they mentioned to us that they had an opportunity to pray with their neighbors because one of their neighbor's brothers was down at one of these protests, and it was getting kind of violent. It was getting out of hand. And so they had an opportunity to pray with their neighbors who typically wouldn't be just like open to that. And they had an opportunity to sit there, pray with them, pray for peace. And they would have missed that if they'd put God in a box and said, oh man, th- this stuff, there's nothing good that can come out of it. But God can do amazing things even through all of this. So cry out, watch, remember, and rejoice. God bless you church. Love you guys.